Let's stand together, open our Bibles to Acts chapter 17 this morning. As we continue in our study, the life of Paul, with emphasis on the word continue. We look now at Paul as he's been run out of city after city. He's run out of Philippi and Thessalonica, Berea. Now we see as he passes through Athens, we'll read of verse 16. The Bible says, now while Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was stirred in him when he saw the city wholly given to idolatry. Now skip down to verse 22. Then Paul stood in the midst of Mark's hill, and he said, Ye men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are too superstitious. For as I passed by and beheld your devotions, I found an altar with the inscription to the unknown God, whom therefore ye ignorantly worship, him I declare unto you. Church, let me remind you, here's what Satan wants to do. He wants to create enough opposition to get you to quit, to back up, to stop doing what we've been commanded to do. And as our world changes, I've never seen a generation of Christians more filled with fear. Here's why I believe it's so important to study the life of Paul, a man who, don't, don't think for a second that he was fearless. We mention him this way, we describe him this way, but all of us have a flesh that is naturally fearful. And he simply, through the indwelling Spirit of God, through obedience to the Spirit of God, through Spirit-filled living, uh, overcame each one of these obstacles. But as he comes to Athens, I want you to put yourself in his shoes for just a moment, as he walks around this city, a small place, about 10,000 inhabitants at that time, but a very uh, intellectual group of people, probably the intellectual center of the world at this point, a place with 30,000 false gods. And here's what he does as he sees the Colosseums, as he sees the, the structures, as he sees the architecture, as he sees the people, Paul always focused on the individual. And he's looking at these men as he always does. He's going to go to the synagogue. He's going to go to the marketplace and he's going to preach. But here's what the Bible says, verse 16. He's stirred because he sees a city wholly given to idolatry. Now let's talk about the stirring for just a moment. Because church, when we look at our city, it doesn't matter if you went shopping on Friday or filled up your gas tank on Thursday. The tattoos and the colored hair and the transgender lifestyle, the homosexuality, the godlessness, the perversion. You see it on their faces. You see it in their conduct. You don't have to drive to the University of Texas. You don't have to sit in a class. You don't have to go to one of our uh, local high schools. You don't have to travel far. You don't have to go to South by Southwest and take a look at the partying that's taken place over the past week. You notice the same things that Paul noticed a couple thousand years ago in the city of Athens. All the secular humanism did not originate in Austin, Texas. It didn't start in our lifetime. Socialism, humanism, communism, uh, all of these isms and schisms were not recently developed. They were not recently invented. This is a matter of the human mind, the debauchery of human flesh. And as he takes a look at what is taking place in this city, he is stirred. Now, here's what we have to admit. 
Most of the time we are stirred, but stirred to frustration. We're stirred to aggravation. We're stirred to say this culture, this society, this world, this sin sickness repels me. And instead of opening our mouth, we are silent saying, what's the use? What difference can I make? What impact will I have? The opposition, I, I don't want to wait to see their faces. I don't want to have the track thrown on the floor. I, I don't want someone to reject me. I, this morning, I rarely go to Starbucks anymore, but Sunday morning, a quick stop to grab an iced tea. And I had already been by that place numerous times. And they tell me, uh, sorry, we can't accept literature. I know that's a lie, but I've heard it. So what I did, I turned on a sermon and I turned it up, uh, coldly calculated both the sermon and the place in the sermon where it was given out gospel. And I just turned it up. And I had to sit there for three to five minutes at the window. And that lady at the counter had to hear three to five minutes of the gospel. I said, you can throw a track in the garbage can or you can reject it. But somehow, some way this morning, you're getting a touch of Jesus Christ in your life. And here's what we do. When we get stirred in 2023, the emotion is different. We're supposed to be propelled uh, to say this person needs Christ. This person needs a knowledge of God. And here's what happened in this city. A place with 30,000 gods said, just in case we missed one, we're going to have a shrine here to the unknown God. And they had missed one. Jehovah God. And Paul, with great wisdom, said, I'm going to use this as, as he's taken up. Listen, these people, they, they were all about the Oropagus. They were all about Mars Hill and gathering men together and having them speak if there was a new idea or a new thought. And when they heard Paul speak, they said, let's see what this babbler now, you know what's going to happen when you take a gospel, you take the Lord Jesus Christ, knowledge of God to this world. They're going to consider you a babbler. But you consider them babblers. You listen to them every day and you tune them out. You say, I'm, I'm tired of this babbling. But what they don't know is there's a context here, which is their soul and eternity and salvation and a God that can change their lives. And don't be frustrated if they consider you a babbler. Babble on! And Christians, we have allowed this world to shut us down because of the perversion, because of the wickedness, because of the distance from God. It's not just intimidation. I truly believe we no longer believe in the power of the gospel. The gospel can change lives that don't need much changing. Listen, God can change any life. Yes, sir. God can take any man, any woman, any person at any time in Austin, Texas. It may take a track, it may take a bus worker, it may take a door knocker, it may take a a radio minister, whatever it is. But here's our problem. We walk into Athens Athens, and we take a look and here's what Paul said. This propelled him to preach. It propelled him to say, I'm going to get them as much of the gospel as possible. I believe at the moment that he was looking at the idolatry, he was already forming a tactic of how to present the gospel. And when we look at this world, listen, it ought to stir us to form a tactic. And say, I I want to know how to present to this person, these people, this group, this unique situation. God prepared a man uh, for a moment. God prepared a moment for a man. And here's what we got to understand. You're not sitting in church 
So God says, don't worry about this week or next week. Or don't worry about Austin. Don't worry about your neighborhood. God is preparing you for that moment in that moment for you. And then we miss it. And when it says stirred, let me ask you this morning. What are you stirred about? Why are you stirred? It's obvious when we get stirred and why we get stirred. When we look at this world uh, wholly given to idolatry, our city, the gods are different. They're still made with hands. The gods are parked in their garages. The, God, the, the gods are out there in the lake, that $30,000 boat. If you want to identify their gods, just walk by a TV screen. And it, it's just a parade of their gods. Whether that's sexual perversion or whether that's wealth or fame or music or sports teams, whatever it is. The idolatry has just changed a little bit. But church, we're living in a city that is wholly given over to idolatry, what they spend on their stadiums. Look at their shirts. Look at their uh, desires, the companies, the position in the companies, whatever it is. It doesn't take rocket science to identify a person's false gods. I remember years ago going with Matt to Puebla, Mexico, and I've been able to travel around the world, and you've seen, we've all seen all kind of idolatry and false gods, but I'd never been to a city with that many Catholic churches, and literally, we talk about them being on every corner in Mexico, but in this case, they literally were on every corner. And I walked into several, you can literally feel the satanic oppression in those places. And the idolatry, and you have every saint under the sun, and there's Christ uh, still on the cross, and all you, you see this, and it turns your stomach. You don't have to go to Puebla, Mexico. You don't have to go to Trinidad or Malawi. You don't have to go to any of these countries. You don't have to visit the Hindus to understand people giving themselves wholly to idolatry. Walk around our city and open your eyes. The idolatry of self. Go sit in the average restaurant in Austin, Texas, and try to figure out who this person is and how they were born. And you're going to struggle. Why? Because they're wholly given to idolatry. In church, if we don't understand this stirring, it was Paul, I believe, taking a trip around the city in preparation to preach a message And here's what we do when we travel around our city. We ought to be stirred in preparation for the giving of a message. But instead, we're stirred to this wickedness in this city. And I'm tired and I'm fed up and I don't want to be part of it. And I want to move out and I want to get as far away as I can. And I want to wash my hands and I don't want to be a participant. And I understand all of that. But at the same time, we were left here, placed here on purpose in Austin. Austin is still our designated field. If you're a member of Capital City Baptist Church, you don't have to live like them. You don't have to act like them. You don't want to have the same desires or the same purpose. But how about if we get stirred every day to do a little bit more and prepare a little bit more the message that has to be given. They need the message now more than ever. Continue, church. Because here's what the wickedness of our city is doing. Instead of stirring us to speak more, most are simply being stirred to anger and frustration. And in silence, why even bother? Why, Pastor, our city has only become more wicked? Why, Pastor, our schools have only become 
more godless. Why, pastor? Have you noticed our mayor in the direction of this city? Why, pastor? Why? Because the power of the gospel. God help us to be stirred. And here's what he does. He begins to preach. Verse 24, he says, I want to introduce you to this unknown God. God that made the world and all the things therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and of earth. He dwelleth not in temples made with hands. He wasn't handmade. He made everything. Church, let me encourage you, number one, we've got to introduce them to their creator. Now, here's what the world is telling us. You can talk about God, just don't talk about the creator. And in our schools, they've tried to eliminate the creator. They have told these kids, as soon as they get into the system, God didn't make anything. There was a big bang. Have you ever heard of evolution? And they begin to saturate their minds with the philosophy that atheism is the only logical choice in life. And the only way to live. And if not, practical atheism. Pantheism. God's in everything. Creation, not creation. This world and everything that's in this world is God. And you've got a spark of divinity in. No, you don't unless you're saved. You have no spark of divinity and you are full of the devil. But here's what we've got here. You know what the bus route's about, dude? You know what our Sunday school class are about? Hey, you know what every ministry we're about? Introducing someone without God to their creator and saying, you do have a creator. You know why this promotion of the uh, transgender lifestyle? Because it's an affront to God and a denial of their creator and saying, you do not have a God that chose your sex at birth. You get to choose because you evolved and you can continue to evolve. And if you don't want to evolve, a physician with a knife and a surgical procedure will help you evolve. And here's what God said. No, no. In the beginning, God created the heavens in the earth. You need to teach them about a creator. Everything we do from your children in every single class is an introduction of our uh, young people and any person walk through these doors to the fact that they have an almighty creator to put them on this planet. A big God. 93. If God made the sun, when he said in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, can you imagine uh, that day he spoke the earth in existence and the galaxies into existence and the sun perfectly placed 92.4 million miles away, perfectly placed so we don't freeze or fry. And if you travel, I, I just want to double check this morning on, on the way in. When I stop for my coffee, I just Google. Thank God for Google. Google quickly because I, I know I've heard 100 billion galaxies. And I thought, is that an exaggeration? And Google actually says in between 100 and 200 billion galaxies. So if you go 93 million miles out and then you travel past 150 billion galaxies to the third heaven, you have the dwelling place of God. You say, how big is our God? The dwelling place of our God that's all those millions and millions of miles out. The Bible says his, the earth is his footstool. His legs are so long, he sits in the third heaven and uses the earth as a footstool. That encourages me. That's a big God. You need to connect 
your children and the bus kids. And on Saturday, don't wait for a class on Sunday to connect a teenager to his creator. Take any time during the week and say, you were made by God. You are not the result of an accident. You did not evolve from an ape. No wonder kids are confused and trying to commit suicide. Exodus 20.11 says, for in six days, you go to the Smithsonian Institute. Boy, they're trying to eliminate God from everything in American society. Aren't you thankful, those of you that have traveled to Washington, D.C., that uh, hundreds of years ago, when they built those buildings, they put that writing in stone, and now they don't know how to get rid of it. Verses and quotes from Scripture. Amen. But now they're trying to erase all of that. If you went to the Smithsonian's 30 years ago and you go now, it's totally different. And any, any thought of God has been taken out and purposely removed. You go to the Grand Canyon and they'll talk about millions and millions of years ago. Uh, no, that didn't happen over the course of millions of years. Uh, God made this spoken in place six days. Then he sent a flood that in a matter of weeks created that entire Grand Canyon. Aren't you thankful for a almighty God? You don't have to spend five minutes on the Navajo reservation to say, this did not evolve. Something supernatural happened here. Psalm 33, 6 says, By the word of the Lord were the heavens made, and all the host of them, by the breath of his mouth, one breath, one word, all brought into Existence. Now, why can't the world recognize that? Go to Revelation chapter 4. I'll tell you why. Here's why you want to introduce people to their creator. You go out to lunch today. You know what you most like you're going to serve, be served by? Waiters or a waitress that does not even believe they were created by God. You have five minutes to introduce them to their creator. They're going to make a choice to believe or not to believe, but at least introduce them. Revelation 4.11, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for thou hast created all things. Why? For thy pleasure. They are and were created. Here's why the world can't admit that they have a creator and that God is that creator. Because they know without even having read this verse, that if there's a God in heaven and he created them, they were made for the purpose of bringing honor and glory to their creator. And that's disturbing. And if nothing else, you can instill deep in them, whether in a Sunday school class or Christian school class or teenage class or street preaching, Whatever your ministry is or wherever God has planted you, whatever company you work for, you're supposed to be a voice piece. And here's what you do. When you walk into that uh, gender sensitivity training, unbelievable, that's what we've come to in the United States of America. That that alone will intimidate a company worker to ever Intimidate them and keep them from ever talking about God, the creator. What if you just quoted one verse at the right time? You know what? I'm a Bible believer and the Bible still says, in the beginning, God, God created. He even created male and two. 
Amen? That's never changed. Man tried to change that, but male and female, God created. Say, preacher, that would get me in trouble. He got Paul in trouble. Got him right now constantly. I know it'll get us in the occasional trouble. Now, I want you to see number two. He didn't introduce them to a creator. Verse 25, go back to Acts 17. It says, neither, that same God, neither is he worshiped with men's hands as though he needed anything. The foolishness. I, I have seen these gods and the creation of these gods. Some of the silliest looking things you've ever seen in your life. Pot-bellied, long noses. I don't care if it's the Mayan culture or the Catholic Church. I don't care if it's Hinduism. I remember when I went to Trinidad and talking to James about all these Hindu gods. And you have uh, Shrivna. And you're, you're, you're looking at this god with an elephant's head. The body of a man, an elephant head. And I said, what's the story behind that? Oh, his mother was a goddess. And she decided to shower one day. Husband was gone. So she put her son out front to stand guard as she showered, dad came home, didn't recognize his son, cut his head off. And when she panicked, she said, go get him a head. And he killed an elephant. Now that is the kookiest, craziest. That's the story of something you worship? A, a goddess that needed protection? And a, god, a, a, a husband god that didn't even recognize his own son? And a sun god that needs a head of an elephant because he got his head whacked? Wouldn't you like to worship any of those three? We have a god that, that made us smarter than to believe that kind of garbage. Amen? But we're talking about a sovereign god, not made by hands, not the invention of man. Look what it says. Seeing he give it to all what? Life and breath. In all things, this is what this world has to realize. There is a creator that has provided them life and breath, and he can take it at any time he sees fit. He has made one blood all nations of men to dwell on all the face of the earth, and he hath what? Determined the times before appointed. He has determined the time of your birth and the time of your death. Not the month or the year, but the day and the second. Now, you need to introduce him to a sovereign God. Here's what the Bible said in Exodus 18, 11. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods. First Chronicles 29, 11. Thy know, Lord, is the greatness, the power, the glory, the victory, the majesty. For all that is in heaven and earth is thine. Thine, O God, is the kingdom, and thou art exalted as head above all. I know there are leaders that think they are sovereign or supreme. Some would like to be but their reign was short-lived. It doesn't matter if it's Hitler or Mussolini or Napoleon. It doesn't matter if it's Putin or Xi or any other leader who, like, who would like to have that level of power. Those nations come and go. And most at some point become a banana republic. Before they see their total destruction. There is a ruler in church. Here's what's amazing. We're supposed to be introducing a world to uh, their creator. We're supposed to be introducing a world to a sovereign Lord. And how can we, while we're living fearful of the times? How many of you have forgotten in the book of Revelation, uh, we, we have a clear understanding 
that there is a next event on the prophetical calendar, everything else that needs to be fulfilled has already been fulfilled, leading up to the next event, which is the rapture of the saints, the rapture of the church. That trumpet's going to sound. Brother Brown, you remember the day, it wasn't 25, 30 years ago, church used to get excited about that, and preachers used to preach about that, and people used to live with that anticipation. It could be today, it could be tonight, and now pastors stop preaching on it because you talk about the rapture, the people say, oh, yeah, maybe someday. We're getting close. Folks, we we may get raptured out of here before we ever say the closing prayer. I mean, the trumpet could sound, and there'd be half a dozen of you sitting around here looking at all those clothes and watches and purses and glasses and shoes and saying, what just happened? There, there'd be a, a handful of you uh, be fumbling and stumbling around in your Bible saying, I know they talked about the rapture, and I didn't understand the rapture. What just happened? There'd be some young men, some young ladies, some older men, some older ladies, some first-timers, and some long-timers. Sitting here, there, there'd be seven, eight, ten of you don't even barely know each other, but you get to know each other real quickly and say, Hey, what just happened? I don't think you'd be worried about what purse you want to take home and if there was a coach or a Michael Kors that you could now select that you couldn't afford. No, I think you'd be, you'd be stumbling around looking for a Bible. The first time in your life getting serious about the rapture, say, How do we just miss that and what do we do from here? Church, here's what I know. There's going to be a time the Lord Jesus Christ is going to sort all this mess out. He's going to come back. with. I'm, I'm thankful we get to come back. I've never been much of a horseman, never enjoyed that much. Had a few uh, hunting trips on the back of a horse, and I couldn't wait to, to have it over. But that's one time I'd be happy to be riding on a horse, be riding with the right team. In a, in a body that can handle that kind of horse... He's going to rule the earth with a rod of iron. Here's what happens. For everyone out there who's denying the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, here's what the Bible says, going to have Philippians 2. There's going to come a day that at the name of Jesus, every, every Austinite, every school board member that's a Bible denier, every single crazy person ever put on a drag show, every bar owner, every neighbor lives in your neighborhood, Every co-worker to argue with, with you about the existence of God. Every knee shall bow and every tongue confess. Amen. Every world leader and every member of every nation. Uh, I don't care if they're communists or socialists. Uh, I don't care what kind of crazy philosophy they have. Uh, Kim Jong-un and Kim Il-young are going to take their fat heads and bow. Uh huh. And every North Korean that's ever lived will bow and confess him to be God. Now, church, how, how is it? Paul says, this unknown God, I want you to just tell you a couple of simple facts about this unknown God. This unknown God is the sovereign ruler of all. He actually gets to decide who goes to heaven and how that happens. And that's all about salvation by grace through faith without works. Isn't it amazing that man thinks he gets to set, or set the rules for heaven? No, the sovereign ruler of mankind gets to set the rules. It, it, he made it very simple. For God so loved the world, he gave you the information that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever, he made it available to all. Whosoever believed it, he made it simple enough that any man, anywhere, anytime, 
could put their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, cry out for mercy, and get born again. He shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Aren't you glad for Ephesians 2, 8 and 9? Aren't you glad that a sovereign God included that in Scripture? Because some of you were really confused about works and the importance of works in your eternal salvation. So God said, let's put this in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace, grace are you saved? Right? Yes. Through faith. Not, not of yourselves. Any earthly endeavor or work. Lest any man, can you imagine all the boasters in the heaven? I knew he wouldn't make it. I knew he wasn't good enough. I knew she didn't have a chance. Heaven would be hell if it had anything to do with works. And here's, here's a sovereign God, and Paul's going to introduce them to a sovereign God in church. When we're talking about continuing, I truly believe churches all across this nation have stopped. They've stopped their evangelism. They've stopped their street preaching. They've stopped their door knocking. They've closed down their bus routes. Church members no longer pass out of tracks. Why even have a church track rack when no one's going to use it? Why even bother? If you're going to pass out tracks, order them yourselves. The community doesn't even know they exist. You know why? Because instead of being stirred to introduce them to a sovereign God that is the supreme ruler that will put things in order, church members are living as if there were no supreme God, no sovereign ruler. Now look what it says in the next verse. Verse 27, that they should seek the Lord if happily they might Feel after him and find him, though he not be far from every one of us. Now skip down to verse 30. The times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent, because he hath appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness. By that man whom he hath ordained, we need to introduce them to this unknown God who is the judge. Now church, Paul laid out the platform. You introduce him to the creator, you introduce him to the sovereign Lord, you introduce him to the judge. You know what we've tried to do? We've tried to introduce them to God without talking about the fact he is creator, he is sovereign, and he is judge. In this world, the last thing they want to know and the last thing they want to hear is one day when you die, you will stand before the supreme judge. There is no jury. You don't get a handpick your jury. Man actually lives that if there were a God, if there were a heaven, if there were a hell, definitely there will be a jury. And I get a handpick my jury and it'll be my mother and my... Uh, 11 best friends, and they'll vouch for me because there's things they don't know, and if they do know, they'll still defend me because they know I'll be a member of their jury and defend them. But the judgment seat has no jury. It has a judge. The eternal judge of heaven. Look what it says in Revelation 20. Keep your finger in Acts 16 because we'll be right back. Revelation 20. Church, it is time that we get stirred enough to open up our Bibles to Revelation 20 and walk someone through the great white throne judgment. Verse 11, I saw the great white throne, him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and heaven fled away. There was out no place for them. I saw what? The dead, small and great, every man that's ever lived, Standing before God, the books were open. Another book was open, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their what? 
Church, there's not a person in here, not a soul on this planet that knows every one of your works. There is no one here that knows your thoughts, knows your motives, knows your past, knows what you did last night, let alone 10 years ago. But when you stand before God, the God of heaven, and he opens up the books and he says, this is the book of Jakester. Should we go to June 3rd, 1998? Saturday night. Now, no one here would want a movie in a general way about some of the sort of details of their life, but this is not a movie. This is a book that contains every thought that crossed your mind and every word that came out of your mouth and the words that didn't come out. While you said, I'm going to set this person straight, and for 30 minutes you figured out how you were going to set them straight, it's all written down. You gave up and didn't say a word because you said that'd be stupid. But it's all written because it was all thought. And everything you did, young ladies, mom never know and no one will ever know. And you're the only one that will ever know. But God knows. And guess how you'll be judged? Not by how you want to be judged. You're going to be judged by the works that you committed on this earth. And a God of all knowledge that knows every day, every moment, every night. And church, here's what we've done. There's a world out there that has no knowledge of that God because the church has been stirred not to introduce them to the judge, but to introduce them to a church. We'd love to have you come to Capital City, and I'm not against bringing them to Capital City, but if you've got five minutes before you invite them to Capital City, how about if you introduce them to the judge of heaven and earth and the judge that one day they'll stand before and give an account to? And here's what Paul said as he walked through the street, was given this platform. He said, if I have this platform one time, and you talk about the unknown God, I want everyone here to cease to talk about the unknown God because I'm going to introduce him to you. He is the creator. He is the sovereign ruler, and he will be your judge. Now, here's what happened. When confronted with truth, then people get to make a choice. Church, what about a world out there? How many in Austin will never make a choice because all they've been told is what the public school told them. All that they've been told is what their mom had told them, what their dad told them, what a neighbor told them, what a teacher told them, what a psychologist told them, what the University of Texas told them. Lies, lies, and more lies. They never heard the truth because the world is more stirred to spread their message than the church is stirred. Here's what this city needs. Christians stirred up enough to say, I'm going to introduce you to God I know. He's been left out of our schools. He's been left out of our universities. He's been left out of our radio programs. He's been left out of our TV programs. But he's not going to be left out over the next five minutes. I'm going to include him in a life that he's never been included in. Now look what it says. Go back with me to Acts 17. When they heard, verse 32, of the resurrection of the dead... Some mocked. This is not new to Austin. This isn't 6th Street. This isn't South Congress. This isn't the Bible haters. This isn't the university students. This isn't the high schoolers. This isn't Betichek. This, this isn't East Austin, South Austin, North Austin. This is the world without God when presented with the gospel. Some will mock. Get over it. 
get them the message and say, you may mock, but you heard you have a creator. It doesn't change the truth. You can mock it. You can despise it. You can deny it. But one day you'll stand before him and say, there was a crazy nut that told me this and I rejected it. Some will mock. And others said, we will hear thee again. You're going to have some delay. They're going to say, yeah, I'll think about it. I'll consider. You better, you better tell them. You better not wait too long. You better think really fast. You don't know if you're going to die today, die tomorrow, die the next day. You need to be prepared for death and for eternity. And there are some sitting in here this morning. You know about God. You know about eternity. You know about salvation. It's not a lack of knowledge. It's delay. And all Satan says is, you don't need to deny it. Just delay it long enough to get your soul into hell. You ought to make today your day of salvation. But there was another group, verse 34, how bait certain men clave unto him and believed. Now, it was just a couple. Church, we may live in Athens. You say, here's, here's what I'm thankful for this morning. You're looking up here at Julio and his wife, Samantha, and you're looking at Oscar and, and his wife, Kimberly. She was a heathen from the east side as well. Moses and Rosa. And here's what God did. Those were Athenians. You know, you had two groups here, Epicureans and Stokes. We didn't talk about the Epicureans. We're always in seeking pleasure. You know, we live in a city where people are constantly seeking pleasure. And the, the Stoics were just determined to be as ignorant as possible of uh, life's realities. Just ignore the realities of life. Just live, just endure. And there are some in our city just saying, you know what? I don't want to think about the realities of life. I don't want to think about the realities of heaven or hell. I just want to live and endure this life and do whatever I can do over the course of my life. It doesn't matter. We think that times have changed people and peoples have changed the time and there's nothing further from the truth. It's all the same. Human nature is still the same. Now, church, here's what happens. Talking to two groups this morning, we'll be done. The first group is the group without Christ that never been saved. Our job is to get stirred up and figure out a way to get them the gospel. If you're not saved this morning, you need to admit it and run to Jesus today. We want to take a Bible, show you out of God's Word how you can get born again today. I'm not talking about tonight or tomorrow or next week. The smart ones of this city said we've been introduced to the Creator, the Sovereign Lord, the Judge of the universe. And let's repent now. He's a God that commands all men everywhere to what? Religion will try to get you to end without repentance. God says that's not happening. You're going to have to repent of your sin. And here's what happened. Paul, when he, on the road to Damascus, when he got saved, aren't you thinking for omnipresent God? He's so close. Here's what we read in that chapter. To any man anywhere that cries out to him, your house, your church, I was with Travis Lewis years ago in the Philippines, and we drove out hours up on the backside of some mountain, and I get car sick, and I was just laying in that truck car sick, and I was supposed to preach. And I told Travis, I don't even know if I can preach. I'm so stomach sick. And here's that little hut hanging over the edge of a, of a mountain, and, and people get saved. You know what? You can drive to the backside of a mountain anywhere on this continent, and God is so near that someone in that hut, that house, that mountain, that place cries out, God hears and they get saved. Yes. Now I'm going to tell you one story and we'll be done. This next week, 
were going to Monterey, Mexico to preach for a young man named Ulysses. I've told you part of his story in the past. I want to tell you the full story this morning. When we went to Mexico, we began passing out tracts. When you start a church, you don't know anyone. And it, it takes a lot of patience to begin to see converts grow and develop. But during that time, we passed out, knocked on 50,000, 60,000 doors, talked to everyone we could. It seemed like so many of those tracks never made it anywhere, never made a difference. But one Sunday morning, a young man named Alfredo showed up at our church with one of those tracks all messed up. And he said, after the service, preacher, he said, I got this track. He said, all my life has been about drugs. He said, I was coming down off a high in my bathroom. There was that track sitting on the floor, and I picked it up and I read it. He said, Pastor, I, I didn't know what to think, but it said that God, there's a God that loves me, be willing to forgive me. Had a little prayer on the back of that track. So I reread the track. He said, I'm not really good at reading. I just went ahead and reread it, make sure I understood it. When I saw that prayer, I said, God, if this is true and you love me, you forgive me. I want that love, I want that forgiveness. Alfredo got saved with a little track on a bathroom floor and a prayer on the back of a track. He said, I want to figure out what this church stuff is. I came here. Can you help me out? Alfredo began to grow. Alfredo, because of the drugs, and messed up his mind. We talk about a brick short of a full load. He was a brick short. He had a little screw loose, but he had a passion for God. And he said, Pastor, is he, he went out there with us so winning. He said, Pastor, I'd like to talk. I'd like for you to give me the opportunity. It made me nervous. I had no clue what he would say. So I gave him a list of verses to memorize. I said, Alfred, if you memorize these verses, I'll let you speak. And I didn't think he could do it. I didn't think he had the mental capacity to do it, but he did. And he came back and he said, Preacher, I'm ready to go. Quote me the verse. He quoted them all. Now I'm stuck. Got to let him talk. So I said, here's what we're going to do, Alfredo. Uh, I'll let you knock on the door. You quote one of the verses. You say something. I'll take over. Well, he, he forgot my instructions. He knocked on that door that day and began to talk uh, to that lady standing at the door. Forty-five minutes later, he had gotten through the entire gospel. She didn't get saved, but she promised to come to church. I didn't want to tell Alfredo. Everybody in Mexico promised you to come to church. Only about 1% of them keep their promise. But she came. And her name was Maria de Los Angeles. I know in Mexico, half of the population is named Maria. <laughs> but her two little kids came with her. Over the next few weeks and months, we began to win her family members. One of those family members was a catechism teacher in that area, one of the largest churches in our area, for 30 years. Everybody in the area knew her and gone through her catechism classes. She got born again. I remember the day she broke up those idols and laid them out on the street. I said, we've got to be ready for all of hell to break loose because when the Catholic priest hears about this, and it was, it was a mess for a little while, but that, those families began to get saved. But one of her boys... Uh, I say, boys, his grown man with a family was working at a factory an hour away. He began to reach people. Uh, Isaac Pacheco, he reached him with the gospel. He said, what do we do? These people live too far away to be coming to church. I said, let's start a church over there. We started that ministry. That building that we just put that roof on, that 300-seat auditorium, that's the result. That one little crazy nut that knocked on a door, that resulted in a church plant. 
15 years later, growing and thriving, probably my favorite church to preach at, we go to Mexico. But that's not the end of the story. There that day when Alfredo knocked on the door, there was a little boy there, I don't know, six, seven years old. Now he's pastoring in Monterey, Mexico. Now here's what happened, church, I told you all that. Because in the course of my life, I've never heard of one person knocking a door and its result, two churches being planted. You know what that was? In the midst of a city like Pachuca that is just like Austin, knocking on 50,000 doors and saying, what's the use? Who's going to get saved and how is this going to happen? We got to be stirred. Say, God knows what's going to happen. Who cares what we can see with our visible eyes? There's a city out there, young man, and when you go out there and you see the perversion of that city, it ought to stir you. Stir you to do what? Not get angry to pass out a track. Stir you to introduce them to a creator, to a judge, to a sovereign Lord. Some will mock, some will delay, but others will end up like Ulysses. Plant the church for the glory of God.